Okay. Welcome to the uh, Lumiere Cinema Podcast. My name is Peter Ambrosio. I am one of the co-owners of uh, Lumiere Cinema, along with Lauren Brown and Luis Oriana. Um, and I am joined uh, on this podcast by... Uh, me. My name is Timo. Hello, everyone. I, uh, I'm... You know, I used to sell concessions at the at the music hall there in Beverly Hills, beautiful Beverly Hills. Uh, now I'm somewhat of a pedestrian, hanging out. You keep saying movies, you, you, you 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 identify yourself as a pedestrian every time. Well, we'll get to that. So uh, first, uh, just visit LumiereCinemaLA.com. Um, you can uh, get a gift card if you spend more than a hundred dollars. You you go into our inner circle. Um, you can stream movies there. We got new stuff all the time. Um, you can subscribe to our email list. You know, we're doing stuff, right, Timos? We're doing stuff. Yeah, stuff. Um, and uh, on this podcast, we uh, discuss a film that's uh, streaming. We try to do it every week. It's not this is not as much weekly lately, but it's going to be. It's going to be. We're going to get there, right, Timo? Um, oh, I mean, we're getting so the mountain to climb, and we're halfway there. Yeah, I like it. Uh, this week is uh, Starship Troopers, which is uh, streaming on Netflix. And this is an interesting movie uh, in terms of like discussing it because um, how did this come out? Did you suggest this or did I suggest this? I feel like this is more of a your thing. Well, not. I mean, it falls under the parameters of what we can discuss, which is typically something that's available to stream. I think I just lucked out in that I've been wanting something. Uh, I think what it was is I wanted something a little more actiony, a little more mainstream, and this happened to fall into that that that, cate- that fringe category of it's available to watch for uh, you and me for this podcast, and it happens to fit the criteria of you know mainstream Hollywood action uh, in the '90s, but maybe early aughts is okay too. Kind of. Uh, thing that I had in mind. Well, let's let's look at something real quickly that um, I want to I'm, I'm maybe you can hear me typing, but I wanted to um, look at this because I think it's kind of interesting. Oh no, that's not uh, you know, I'm looking up the best picture nominees from that year. And um, for, for when you type in 97 it gives you 98 uh, 96. So these are the these are the best picture nominees from 1997. Titanic, Goodwill Hunting, As Good As It Gets, The Full Monty, and L.A. Confidential, right? Um, okay. And I've seen two movies recently from 1997, one of them being Starship Troopers. The other one was Contact. Um, and it's interesting to me the way these various movies have aged. Um, I think that uh, As Good As It Gets, I think, has aged actually really well. I really, I've watched it a few times and recently even, and it's really good. Full Monty, I don't even know if I saw. I can't even remember it. L.A. Confidential, I'd have to rewatch. What's that? Full Monty is fun. I have it on VHS. I'll put it on. I'll put it on. But, but the, so. The, I didn't know it was Oscar worthy, but, you know, I know now. Yeah, it's one of those feel good, feel good hits. But, um. Feel good. It's kind of like a Green Book one. You know what I mean? It's one of those movies. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but the reason I bring this up is just, it's interesting how. I feel I feel like in the film community, I feel like in people who are really interested in film, I feel like Starship Troopers has aged so incredibly well. I feel like film people are always talking about it. Film people love it. I don't know how much of a crowd pleaser it is. I think it is a crowd pleaser, but 
you just like I think increasingly so. I think all of Verhoeven's over is really popping these days. People like to bring up Showgirls as his big comeback these days. Yeah, so I should revisionist. You know, I should yeah. I should rewatch. I think I saw it when I was thirteen, so I had different things in mind. But um, yeah, like the, the, that's the thing about about um, Verhoeven is he has Verhoeven? this. Yeah, he has this legacy that I think for me with Verhoeven, I, I'm trying to think of what the movie was that that kind of did it for me. Um, I I think that I. I always liked Starship Trooper, like when it was on cable or something, and I watched it. I thought, "Oh wow, that was a good movie." And and uh, I think when I revisited um, um, Basic Instinct, as sort of I was a little older, and I really responded to it. Um, and then there's there's also I have an odd affinity for Hollow Man, which I don't think Verhoeven himself even likes. Have you seen that movie? I have I have seen that movie. That's another discussion. I like that movie. Yeah, I mean, like especially growing up watching it, I didn't get movies when it was on TV. Like that was my Starship Troopers growing up. It was Hollow Man on TV, and I remember people hating hating on it, and then uh, people liked it. And I was a kid, so I took both of them with a grain of salt. And I, I watched it. I liked it for what it was then for an action movie. Uh, I I saw the horrendous thing they did with the with the woman, and I was like, oh no. But uh, an invisible man would totally do that. So it kind of like fell into place. And then it, it's a horrifying movie. It stands up, I think. Yeah, I think the thing about about um, Verhoeven is that he he's very willing to go into that territory. You mentioned that scene with that that uh, the woman in Holland. But yeah, yeah well, he, he's willing to go to dark places. Yeah. Well, he always had he's had that reputation, you know, for a long time. I mean, um, I'm actually eager to see his his early work, which I have not seen. Like he, right, he had, his European work, right? Yeah, he has like four or five movies that are considered really great that they're not very available. I would love to find a way when we reopen to screen them uh, because he's really. I mean, he he came to Hollywood and he's he. You know, okay. So I just watched uh, Satan Tango, which is that. Uh, the seven-hour Bellatar movie. And this is, you know, a movie made by a European intellectual who really is, you know, um, pushing that idea when you watch the movie that it's kind of constantly like a European intellectual made this movie. And I think that Verhoeven is interesting because his films, I think, play like a European intellectual is, he's trying to like, he's trying to sneak it in. Right? Am I wrong about that? No, that's an interesting take. Go on. Well, because I get the feeling, like, you know, there's kind of this cliche almost with film people about Starship Troopers that it's this super political movie and that, um, you know, like, people will, will, like, say, oh, my God, Starship Troopers is, like, actually really political. And film people will be like, duh, like, very obvious that it's a very political film. How can you not see that? Um, but there's just this idea of Verhoeven where he's, like, if you watch Basic Instinct, he's discussing ideas about sexuality and sexual freedom and, you know, he, he and gender roles and all of these things. And so he, he's, he's... Even Robocop, he's talking about society, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Robocop's another masterpiece. Um, yeah, he's, well, he, he's, he's dealing with genre. He's dealing with things that are, are exploitative, right? He loves um, intense violence, intense sex. Like those, that's a, that's a thing in his, in his films, right? Um, and coming at it from a European perspective, he's got the American idea of what we've, sold Europe 
you know, so he's seen he's seen America on TV enough, I think, to like you know make a, something of a microcosm in his movies. Yeah, cop in Detroit during the fictional uh, Buenos Aires, you know. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting question of 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 what his what his point of view is, which I think is one of the, his strengths as a filmmaker. Is we know he has a point of view, point of view, but we can't quite pin him down. He's I'm never quite sure what he's actually on about with his movies and i think starship troopers is a really good example because so the levels of starship troopers are kind of interesting to me right you you this plays on one level like obviously it was marketed and most people watched it under the guise of hey come see an action movie right okay Am I wrong about that? Wouldn't wouldn't you say that? Oh, yeah, I, mean, th- I wasn't there when the movie came out, but I presume the posters were much like the video cases. So they were like uh, monsters, and there's uh, the the lead guy running away, and he's yelling right, and there's a uh, the starship troopers all actiony. I'm pretty sure they were selling a gun like a gun busting movie. Yeah, and you've got these young, you know, sort of a glamorous cast. It's it's very Hollywood glamour kind of movie. Do you remember the trailers when they came out? I I yeah I remember they you know they pitched it as as action basically that's that's what right. I I perceived it as um and so yeah like the, this is a movie that the veneer of the film is a is a young person's action movie I mean it's rated R it's a hard R I guess you would say but it's really pitched yeah. at at that kind of like you know late teens early 20s audience that Hollywood's always trying to capture um, and so that's that's one level that it plays at is you're going to a movie theater to go see a rousing action movie, right? That's that's one level. Sure. And the other level is this thing that that is super obvious to film people, maybe not obvious to others. I don't know, which is this idea that the film is very has this whole political subtext of discussing what I think you would describe as fascist imagery, right? Like this is a film about people in a forever war. This is a film about people who live in a place where the military is the route towards procreating. It's the route towards voting. It's the route towards being in the government at all, right? So, But it's also something of a utopia. It's also like a really nice place to go to school at to send your kids to, you know? But, a, but remember, about, like, you know. well, but remember that, okay, Yes, this is like part of the element of the movie, right? That it plays as a very right. well because the fascism is taken over. It's it, that I think that's where it becomes subtle because it's just the backdrop. It's not necessarily the the plot. Well, also remember that the film itself is framed as propaganda at the beginning right. of the movie. So whatever that's we're true. seeing, we're seeing sort of what the the, the propagandists want us to see. So that's all part of it. That's all part of the. The idea of, of this movie. Right. We're supposed to know as audience members that we're part of a propagandistic sort of like, a, you know, exhibition. But I think a lot of moviegoers just, you know, sort of glazed over at that part and didn't see this as such. They're like, they're just watching a movie now. Uh, and so they're in for a sort of, sort of you know, unsettling ride. Well, I, I think that worse. I think that's what's, what's interesting about what Verhoeven did is, is that he sort of, he was like, listen you know, let's be faithful to this source material, which is quite political. And well, to the, an extent. But, to but, an extent, right, I think right. he, he couldn't stand the book. 
Right. He and the writer couldn't stand the book, so they only got so far and took some elements, but right, majorly, but, you know, walked away from a lot of what's in the book, which is, yeah, political, but in its own right-wing sort of way. Right. He, he, he sort of rejected the right-wing politics of it. I guess what I mean to say by I'm saying that more like him talking to studio executives more than him talking about the movie after it's out so the idea of just yeah. like that he he's saying to the studio executives listen it's going to be a rousing action movie guarantee that we're going to have young attractive people in the cast there's going to be sex there's going to be violence it's going to be everything everybody wants to see on a saturday night but the framework Is it Showgirls? yes um I see. but the framework of this movie is going to be you know this sort of this 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 propaganda film and that's not going to take away anything from people who are going to enjoy the movie as an action movie you know what i'm saying is is that verhoven's framing of it in this propagandistic way it doesn't get in the way of the action movie he still has the action movie there right okay he's got the chops to deliver both the action movie and the uh you know cerebral political but here's my point. Here's my point is, okay, we've got the the action movie for for the, the people, and this goes back to the Jean-Luc Godard quote that I've probably mentioned on the show before, which is Jean-Luc Godard talked about Rio Bravo and how Rio Bravo was an example of a truly great film because if you were just going to watch a Western, you watched a Western and it was entertaining and it was great, but if you wanted more, it's in there. And so, so, so to me, um, you know, we've got the, the, the Verhoeven action movie for the, the action fans. Then we have this, this political film for people who, who like that kind of movie. But I want to say this, I think there is a third layer to this film and it's nothing profound, but I think there is a third layer to this film and it's the real reason that I enjoy it so much. And the, the third layer of it is that it's actually legitimately just great storytelling. Like when I when I'm discussing that and I you know like fine it's an action movie but that's not really like like look at the way in the movie the the characters are so engaging and the relationships are so engaging and it's all really like when you're watching it, like even if you've forgotten it, you think you should have remembered it because it's so great. Um, well, because they're well act, they're well cast parts and well directed as well. Because those yes. parts could have easily been, you know, mis misconstrued and like done differently and wrongly, and so it wouldn't have worked. But Verhoeven knew what he was selling, which was uh, sort of like a soap opera teen yes. movie set in a war, and so therefore you have these character types that fit for the characters they're playing and then he puts them through hell so that they come out a little deeper than than you expect them so somehow they fall into that sort of like a ken doll you know barbie situation where they they just they fit their roles fascistically perfectly for the for the you know society so that they could you know therefore become a citizen but more than that you know fight for well for citizens i think citizenry being the ultimate win for them i think is, is well it's interesting that you shifted from verhoven's craft to this this other thing about the citizenship well, thing, i don't which... think it would have worked if it weren't verhoven pulling it off like there are a few directors that like i think he came from the dutch school for sure but because he was making dutch films but he was always you know he's one of those filmmakers that had his eye on like the money as well like i can't make movies if this movie doesn't 
entertain, and I want people to, like, you know, I want their movie ticket to mean something. So he always had the audience in mind when he made movies, so that's, I think, how RoboCop became such a hit, and maybe why, you know, Showgirls failed at the time, or critically, anyway, or I don't know how it failed, but it, it was, like, too much for something or, or other, but the audience, some of the audience responded to all the sex and the gratuitous thing, and so you can sneak in that, that message that people are waking up on, that they're making a documentary recently about the, the fandom behind Showgirls and all that, but I think it's because Verhoeven, the filmmaker that he is, he's like a like a, I don't know, like a Spielberg in that sense, you know, where he, he, he's, he's, he's making Jaws all the time, uh, or he did for a while anyway. A lot of his American movies are American classics, and he's, he's kind of a, a foreign filmmaker. So that's, well, that's I think the thing, the, the thing, I mention it all the time, is is my love for Douglas Sirk. I think I mentioned, I can't remember which movie we were talking about, but there was a movie here. I, I think that maybe it was Beyond the Lights. I can't remember. But there was a movie that we were discussing that I was talking about just the sheer, like, nature of the filmmaking being, like, really, really perfect in terms of, like, just the, the, the way the shots are put together, the, 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 the the shot reverse shot, the, the, the coverage, the, the, just the pacing and the whole craft of it, just, just in terms of a sheer, like rhythmic musicality of filmmaking. If you watch it with the sound off, like Ernst Lubitsch movies or something. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, uh, Vicente Minnelli, you know, just has this kind of grace to it. And, Star, yeah, yeah, yeah. Starship Troopers is a great example of that. If you look at the filmmaking here, when he goes to close up, when he, when the way he frames, you know, like he'll have things where it'll be two characters with another character in the middle, in the background, out of focus, and he's just getting his point across yeah, at all times. Yeah, he's just yeah. he just does things in such a way that the craft is so elevated. Like there's a um, there's a really interesting moment when Rico is on top of the bug and he does the thing where he uh, he shoots a hole in the bug and then he drops a bomb in the bug and the teacher yeah. is watching him and without that That's shot of that without that shot of that teacher watching him that sequence isn't nearly as good like there is yeah. an emotion created by the fact that the teacher is so excited watching him. And it's just little moments like yeah. that, little things like that, that continually through this story, Verhoeven builds these characters. And it's it reminded me of years ago. Um, uh, do you know about have you ever seen uh, the Godfather epic? Do you know what that is? Oh, I've been meaning to, and I, and I can't get a hold of it now because I don't. I never had HBO when it was on the air, and I right. think it's off the air now. So Godfather Epic came onto HBO, and I said to myself, you know, oh, Godfather Epic's on HBO. Interesting. I I've never seen it. You know, I probably should watch it. And you know, I've yeah, seen. Describe what it is again, just for the uh, people listening. So uh, be, I believe it was made because it's actually an interesting story. Is I think Francis Ford Coppola during Apocalypse Now was running out of money, and what he decided to do was he decided to take this extra footage he had in Godfather One and Two, and he decided to re-edit Godfather One and Two together with this extra footage. And sell it to NBC so they would broadcast it and he can make money off of that. So it, it's this pure craven cash grab by Coppola. But um, it's it's Godfather 1 and 2 re-edited into chronological order with extra footage. 
to form the Godfather epic. And, um, you yeah, know, incredible. yeah, I, I had heard about it and I was like, oh, okay. But here's the thing is I was hearing about, or I it was on HBO and I kind of thought to myself, you know, I've seen Godfather one and two a million times. Great. There'll be some extra scenes. Who cares? But I'll throw it on. Why not? And it's sure. this funny thing where I was like, you know, I'll throw on an hour, watch it for an hour while I'm doing this. And this is a seven hour movie. And, um, I, well, I think it was a Sunday night. I ended up watching the whole thing. And not only did I end up watching the whole thing, I ended up talking to my friends about it because they were all watching it too. Everybody I knew in my life was watching this movie and everybody was talking about it. And it was this interesting thing where the the greatness of The Godfather was really revealed to be about just, you know, it's not the story. Scorsese has a thing about, you know, if you remember the story, that's then that's not really a great movie. You remember the feeling. But I, I think the thing that... that the greatness of the Godfather is it's this giant epic, but you just remember the people you remember the, the, these are people that they become your friends. They become your, you know, Ebert talks about how, you know, when, uh, Robert Duvall shows up, he didn't say it's Robert Duvall. He said, it's Tom Hagen. And it's just the people and the moments and the dramas with the people. It's so there. And Starship Troopers yeah, has and that. It's a little, and it's a little building blocks of character. Yes. To make up the whole, and Starship Troopers has that. Starship Troopers yeah. has that in it, where it's like you meet these people, and when you rewatch the movie, you see it again, where you're just like, "Oh my God, there's, uh, you know, there's Rico, and he's he's hung up on Denise Richards, but Dez is hung up on him, and it's all so human. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it right. And then you have and you have Jake Busey, who's this blustering idiot. Who comes in? And there's that great thing where he come. He has, uh, they're they're all partying, and uh, he plays the violin, which is such a great character detail for a blustering idiot to play the violin. And he, <laughs> and he has this violin, and he sort of a devilish grin, and he's got that hair going up like a fucking right. Street Fighter character. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's like a funny thing there where it's so gracefully done where you're. Um, he's playing the violin in this party vibe of everybody's dancing. And then Rico switches gears because of that, that advice. And again, the drama, this is Douglas Sirk. He just, he, the, the, the human drama of it where the teacher says, Oh, you once asked me for advice. I'm going to give you advice now. You should go talk to that girl. And so he goes to dance with her. And as soon as he dances, starts dancing with her, they have that great shot of Busey changing the violin to be like soupy romantic music and it's just this texture thing slipped inside a movie that people went to see an action movie and they got it then other people said oh this is a really brilliant political message and then i'm just like great characters in drama classic storytelling it's like robert altman but orderly you know? Yeah, there is a there is that element of like he's juggling all these characters. No walking over each other, but there are there is a lot going on in a lot of these shots. Well, it, his tracking technique is really like on point of Verhoeven's, you know. Yeah, I think the thing is is that he manages all of these characters in these dramas so effortlessly. Like it's yeah. just it feels like the most natural thing in the world. And that's when I I remember when I kind of um I I was watching it 
I maybe I'd seen bits and pieces and then I finally was kind of got into the whole thing. And I thought to myself at the time, I was like, you know, this is kind of like Beverly Hills 90210. Like he's kind of just like yeah. doing right. like a, a, a more sexually open version of Beverly Hills 90210. And I was really into that at the time. Um, because, you know, like soap operas when they're, when they're good, I mean, they're really, they're like, you know, crack cocaine, right? You can't get enough of it. Well, my cousin was really hooked on, uh, Degrassi when I was in high school and he was living here in the same room as I was. He was really hooked on shows like Degrassi or like, uh, Yes Dear for that human drama that he would access somehow because... I mean, in my mind, this was mainstream fodder, but I'm seeing him enjoy it. Makes me want to enjoy it. So I, I, I kind of also, you know, gains that ability to to see things like that. And it's a very interesting uh, perspective. The way, like, he would watch this movie, Starship Troopers, and pick up on certain things that I wouldn't, uh, you know, because I see it in a very like, oh, it's soap opera. It's kind of cheesy. And he's like, no, it's beautiful. Like, I know he opened that wait, wait, wait. aspect of how he can oh. Be, Sort of like heart wrenching when you see Des and and the relationship right. fall apart there, and you know he she's dying, but she had him. She you know she got a hold of him. She's like, don't let me go, and he's like, I he can't do nothing because she's dying, and then she dies, and then Des is I mean Des uh, Denise Richards' character is at the front, and she's you know piloting the plane. It's it's such like just yeah, like you say, it's great storytelling. It's just it's great story. I think it's also a credit to the editor. Because, you know, the way the stories do come come together, the the cuts are just seamless. You, you, you barely notice anything, you know, happening in terms of cutting just because, of, you know, everything plays out so, so easily. And and what I love about the, you know, that element of it, and I just to go back to what you're saying because I'm interested in it, are you saying that, like, did you watch this movie and you didn't connect with the drama and you you have a friend who connect who who made you understand that specifically for this movie well, or you're just saying when generally? I initially watched the movie, yeah, that's the interpretation I got. Oh, this is just an average run of your mill movie. Later on when I got into cinema I started connecting the dots of like, Oh, who did uh, Robocop? Oh, the same guy who did Hollow Man, oh the same guy who did Starship Troopers. I've got Starship Troopers, I'm gonna rewatch it. And so every rewatch has been sort of like just I mean, I've rewatched that movie at least 30 times by now in my life, and just like to study it, you know, in some particular way. So I have a sort of an evolution of how I, I see this movie. Uh, but I remember there was a time when my, my cousin would, you know, he, he's got like a different taste in, in stuff, but he's very open-minded in that he'll watch just about anything. I mean, I ran into my, my, cop, my first uh, Michael Haneke movie from a pile of movies that he had bought bootlegs because he, he knew a guy. You know, so he would show up every night, you know, fucking drunk and with a stack of movies that we would watch. And this was one of those leftover movies I saw, Michael Haneke, and it's because he was that open-minded. But he also had a very, mm, I don't want to say basic point of view, but a very simpler point of view that I couldn't, that allowed him to enjoy things a little better. And so made me enjoy things sort of that I wouldn't normally watch. So this movie was one of those movies that he connected to before I did because I was like, oh, this this movie just looks like uh, another Independence Day. I could just go watch Independence Day, you know. But this is Roland Emmerich with Stanley Kubrick infused in it because of all the levels that, you know, you can access with this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I wouldn't. I. It's funny that you're saying Stanley Kubrick. I want. I. I would say Douglas Sirk. Douglas Sirk is such a is such a touchstone for me because Douglas Sirk. Douglas Sirk kind of invented the American soap opera. 
is what people like yeah. to say. I mean, it's not that he invented it in the sense of like soap operas. I mean, yeah, soap operas like are he was long. The first one to do them in America. Well, he was he just did. he just his movies are so such a great version of that kind of melodrama that he he sort of fostered the idea that that can be like an addictive thing, I think, in American culture. And he was doing it from a European perspective. He was a German, you know, perspective. How, how would he weigh with Frank Capra? He's totally, he's wildly different to Frank Capra because Frank Capra's movies, it's actually interesting that you bring up Frank Capra because, I mean, if you think about Verhoeven and you think about Capra and you think about Cirque, the three of those bouncing yeah. around, it's very interesting because Capra is, he's sort of clunky he in a great way. He's sort of clunky talking about politics and society and just he just rams all of these ideas and you know passions into his movies. Cirque no, is I know what you mean. Cirque is silky smooth. You watch a Douglas Cirque movie and you're just you're just in it. You're just in the story and you're just watching these people go. And maybe it's silky smooth and that's why it, 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 it I didn't ever find it so captivating. Like Frank Capra, his movies stand out in my mind. I know I've seen a couple of Douglas Sirk movies, but I can't tell you which ones, and I think it's because he, he's so dang silky that I don't catch any of it. You know what I mean? Like it's not the, memorable or something. The the best Douglas Sirk uh, uh, movie review is, is Pedro Almodovar said, uh, you know, I've seen Written on the Wind a thousand <laughs> times, and I can't wait to see it again. And that's, I feel a similar way about Written on the Wind, Imitation of Life. They're just movies that like, yeah, if you hit the wavelength of what he's doing, I mean, it's basically the, the Starship Troopers thing or the Degrassi Eye thing. He's just so good at teasing out these uh, these human these human dramas, these human stories um, that you become captivated by it. Um, it just it really, but the, it's also funny thinking about the idea of what what makes a soap opera a soap opera. I remember um, right. And and this is good because I'm connecting it to the musical. I remember, um, you know, actually, let me be long-winded. We're allowed, right? Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to go all the way, Timo. Um, so I'm going right. to start yeah. start with, I was reading the book City of Nets. Do you, do you know that book? Yeah, I actually bought that book on account of you recommended it. Uh, it's supposed to be a really defining history of Hollywood. It's a great history of Hollywood. Point? Uh, no, it's thirty. It's really forties, but um, what thirties, forties? What what had happened was, I heard it was like a major book that the Cohen brothers had used as the basis for Barton Fink, um, and indeed there are passages of it that are like straight out of, you know, that that Barton Fink just took right out of City of Nets, and I was kind of I was curious about it, and um, I read it, and in it there was a thing about the Hollywood Ten, the HUAC you know, meetings that the Hollywood 10 were these 10, um, I think screenwriters, I think they were all screenwriters who had been sent to jail because they, re for contempt of Congress, because they refused to testify. Was Dalton Trumbo one of those? Dalton Trumbo was one of them. And the thing that was interesting about this, um, this situation was that you have 10, like, hardcore intellectuals who are... Um, going to jail. So there were interesting things that they got into in jail because they had all this time on their hands and they're intellectuals. So one thing they did was they helped prisoners with their legal troubles. They would write letters for them, et cetera, et cetera. But then the other thing that they did 
was that they um, they were like, hey, I got all this time in my hands. I can finally read War and Peace. And uh-huh. I remember I, I was like, yeah, that would be a benefit of prison, I guess, is that you could, you could do these things and read War and Peace. And I remember one night I was at the music hall working as a as a as a concessions guy and i thought to myself you know it was like a tuesday night and i couldn't do anything and i just and i wasn't even busy and i just had to sit there i was like this is like being in prison i was like wait a second (laughs) so i embarked on this project of reading books like war and peace because i had the time and i remember and i remember i was reading war and peace one night and uh, a, a guy and his girlfriend, he was, I believe he was Indian. A guy and his girlfriend are walking by. He's like, oh, you're reading War and Peace. I was like, yeah, just trying to, you know, you know, uh, uh, scale the mountain. And he goes, yeah, man, but once you get into it, oh, it flies by. And the thing about it is, is that War and Peace is effectively a soap opera. You're just, it's, it's, it's. It's just romantic intrigues and different dramas. I mean, there's there's an existential element, obviously, obviously to it. There's a philosophical element to it. But the the reason that you dig deep into it is because the human drama of it is just it's the same thing as The Godfather, and it's the same thing as Starship Troopers. It really is. It's but it's the human element. You just the 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 moments that you that 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 Tolstoy captures. It's very interesting thinking about this kind of like these different, wildly different things in the veneer because Starship Troopers is a bunch of, you know, um, uh, alien bugs getting slaughtered. But deep down in there, it's just, it's that classic thing, right? Um, and I think it's it's just, it's even that much more impressive that Verhoeven um, was able to, to make this movie what it was, considering that, you know... Well, it wasn't a hit. That's what That, that much is certain, I think. It was like one of those sleeper hits that sort of like really took off on videotape, apparently. I think so, and yeah. I think it's because uh, the Stanley Kubrick elements. It was like the uh, Full Metal Jacket. He went Full Metal Jacket instead of going Saving Private Ryan. So, like, the music comes up when everyone's got the willpower to fight, but when the willpower is gone and it's just straight-up war... The music cuts out. It's a very subtle, you know, trick, but it it really works in favor of this argument that I'm having about uh, he's very Kubrickian, in that this movie's like partially Roman Emmerich, Roland Emmerich doing like you know Godzilla or something, and and you got your uh, you know Full Metal Jacket in there. There's, there's a training part segment, you know. Then there's a there you know at, at kind of just hanging out, getting to know one another segment during the war, you know. And then there's a segment where they go to war. And it's it's a uh, it's 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 a great sort of coming together of ideas, but I think people, I don't know, came out of it sort of feeling weird. Um, well, I think this is a, I think this is. Shit when this movie came out? I I mean I think people just didn't know what to do with it a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, it like it, there was a randomness to it. I think because you know the the writer Robert Heinlein. I I mean you know I was fourteen. I had never heard of him. Well, the writer of the movie was the guy who did RoboCop. Am I wrong? Uh, no, I'm talking, but I'm just talking about the source material. There's a randomness to the source material in that Heinlein might have been a big author, but at that point, you know, he, you know, it's a novel from 1960. You know what I mean? Like, right. I think there was a randomness to it for a lot of people. But well, in terms of him and Hollywood, are there a lot of uh, Heinlein movies? Because I know there's some Crichton movies, the big ones. There's a lot of Philip K. Dick movies. Heinlein was like what they did Timeline recently because of Crichton, but. Uh... 
That was a shit movie. Uh, um, yeah, I think I think Heinlein, you know, he mainly relegated to very B picture status, and that's the thing about Starship Troopers yeah. is it's a B movie. It's a thoroughly B yeah. movie with a yeah. A movie budget, and I think that's a tribute to Verhoeven's ability to to command that kind of a budget, um, because it really, you know. It, it it shows in the filming and the craft that he he had everything he needed to make it at that level, and it's remarkable for 1997. The, the like the effects in this film are yeah. are so good. I mean, there's like a couple of scenes. It's kind of funny the where the where the kind of seams show. Um, there are a couple of scenes where it's like I'm we're kind of on a set that's being tossed and turned to make it look like a, but then I think to myself, this is a guy who knows what he's doing. So is it him kind of signaling to the viewers kind of being like, I'm having some fun here. You know what I mean? That's what I can't, you can never know with somebody who's that good at what they're doing. You know, the host was a really popular movie when it came out. And when I watched it, I have a really complicated relationship with special effects and they were actually frankly ruined by, uh, George Lucas and his idea about re-releasing the Star Wars movies, uh, you know, re-edited. So when I finally got it, you know, when I was a kid, I finally got the choice of, like, picking out a movie of my own at the video store. I picked out this Star Wars movie. I was familiar with it. I remember it. I put it on, and then everything looks weird, and it's because the CGI was cutting in. And so I learned to hate CGI because it felt like betrayal to me. Now, that said, the, the CGI that works in this movie, is, it's, it's because it doesn't distract me. The, the host was as powerful an emotional movie as people found it. I couldn't get past the monster looking like shit. Godzilla, the Roland Emmerich movie, the, the effects are supposed to be terrible, but I remember being a kid and being convinced. It's just, I guess, the power of the story. I just wanted to be captivated. This movie, Starship Troopers, captivated me so much that I never questioned the special effects. You know, I think there's the story and the pace that, that, that turned me off to like anything positive, but it, th- the effects are incredible. I think there's yeah. one shot that I described that I was kind of like, hmm, that's a little, that's shockingly a little budget for like this movie. Much? No, no, no. It was just, it just, it was like, it's like when one of the ships gets hit by a missile or something or a bug gets hit by a bug uh. and you see the crew members inside scrambling because it's the the ship is rocking and it just kind of looked right. like Babylon 5 set where they're just like like they're like everybody run you know like it just yeah, yeah. It, there's like one moment like that but it's remarkably um uh seamless I thought it was titanic in space i thought it was fantastic yeah no i mean the 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 well that's also interesting too like of the well i'm not i'm not referencing titanic with this that the what's interesting too is like the the Hollywood trends that are at play here. I think the Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero thing is definitely there. You know, like let's get a lot of yeah. young people in romantic and sexual intrigue. That's definitely part of this. Um, and then there's yeah. the, the 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 action movie thing, the sci fi thing, the adventure thing. But then also yeah. there's this this alien. You know, like the trend of Alien, where it's kind of like, let's do that kind of monster. And I think I think Verhoeven does a great job with the monsters in this movie. Yeah. I mean, they are so dangerous. And yeah. they're so... That's the, the other thing I wanted to say, too, about this in terms of the storytelling and, and why it's so great. 
is the the climactic scenes showing Denise Richards where she's about to have the bug, you know, plunge into her mind and she cuts it with the knife and how I love the, the callbacks going on where it's Rico has the, the psychic thing and she has the knife thing, which is not directly referenced with her, but Earlier on, that one guy, uh, Jake Busey's character, is like, why do we need to learn knives? And it's like, right. she's got the knife. Right. You know what I mean? Like you, All you, the training comes into the, play. Yeah, it's the training thing. And that's the other thing, too, about the complexity of the politics of it for me, is like, what, what, you know, there's some obvious satirical stuff where it's like, everybody's doing their part and the kids are squashing the bugs and the mom's like, yay! And it's kind of like, okay, you know, this is like the way Nazis portrayed Jews almost. Like, there's this idea of yeah, like... Yeah, but there's a comedic too, where they're all, all the kids are fighting for a gun and the two soldiers just laugh and it's just like oh this is the ugly side of america but it's viewed upon as i mean it's clearly a joke you know but well it's not it's, necessarily uh, it's not necessarily oh, you know. it's not necessarily america that's another thing i would say about it is like you know right that's true like that's true v- where is, is that is that commercial in uh it's just for the viewer but Oh, the settings that we know of are Buenos Aires for sure, because I think that's where they went to high school and took off from, right? Well, well, but but what I want to say is is that I want to say that you know Verhoeven he was born in 1938 in Amsterdam. Okay, all right. Like, what does that signal to you? That this is a man who, you know, lived at a time he you know he was born at a time when the Nazis were occupying other European countries, right? So. So this is easily just as much about Nazism. Uh, I I think, I don't think, what I mean to say there is not that he's talking about Nazism, not that he's talking about America. He's just talking about the nature of fascism generally, right? Like, I I, I think that there's just a sense of like, um, that he's discussing the nature of fascism and how it might operate. And, And like you talked about the utopian element of it, <clears throat> excuse me um you talked about the utopian element of it like that's i think what makes it interesting is that this is a highly technically advanced human culture we're looking at right i mean yeah. they're, they're in this they're, they're tapping into psychic abilities they they have the ability to, to travel through the universe you know this is a very but he's sort of he's sort of signaling that you know the fascism that we're watching or the the fascism that we're seeing here is high functioning. It, it's just yeah. it's just heavily militarized, and it's just it's the it's kind of interesting that that's like what like what I was saying earlier. It's like we're not clear exactly what he's saying about it, which I like. You know what I mean? Like it would be easy if you were just like fascism's bad. <laughs> you know, like. Well, no, but- about the characters it just happens to take place in this world that's rich with detail where well, you can have that conversation i, I think like, he's how did they get there i think he's also saying something about you know like if you look at nazism what is one of like the big things about nazism is that nazism used iconography right, right. used iconography that's a big part of 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 nazism is that hitler had an aesthetic you know what I mean? That he sure. that he presented to people, and that's kind of this thing that that I think Verhoeven's doing is that it's like, you know, propaganda 
making a Hollywood movie. Hollywood movies are propagandas are propaganda films for Hollywood. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that 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 being good with aesthetics is almost a fascist skill. You know what I mean? Like he's almost indicting movie making in that sense. It'd be weird to go into the movie and then come out with that idea, though. That 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 is a bit of a stretch. It's safe to say, isn't it? What do you mean? That he's uh, that he's questioning aesthetic. No, I I don't think it's a stretch at all. What 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 do you think you're thinking? What's that? Walking out of this movie, what do you think you're thinking? Like, wow, that was an action movie. That was crazy. Or would you be having this conversation about fascism and uh, and it's and uh, oh, you could definitely you could you could definitely discuss fascism after watching this movie in many ways. I think because they're living in a form of a fascist state. Are they not? No, I don't know. I don't know. It looks like they're living in America, man. <laughs> well, when you have to go into the military to breed. When you have to go into the military to get into politics, when you have to go into the military to be able to vote, you know, I mean, that sig- sure. that signals to me that that's a pretty fascist state where militarized, you know, um, I mean, I guess it, a lot of countries, Korea and Israel require military service. Um, but, you know, the 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 combination of that with the forever war with the bugs, because remember, the movie doesn't end with like they defeat the bugs but no the war isn't over when the yeah that's a key part about this is that that's and i think that's one thing that you walk out of the movie you're like wait that war didn't end like what we I saw this movie is a coming of age picture about these three kids that come out of high school and become men and women that who, is a who, who truly are worthy of being citizens of the state that will uh, that will ultimately be their home. But that's a great. Which is what they're fighting for, even though the last home that they lived at blew up. That's because a, of the bugs. But that that's a great point. Is that like I was fully invested in Rico's journey of like defying his yeah. parent, defying his parents, his parents romance. die, and then but then also that that coming of age thing you talk about, where he becomes the teacher that he idolized, right? Right, which is a nine hundred two one zero thing. But it's also it's also a propagandistic a thing. Movie. Is that is that you remember his father? Um, his father's like, I don't like the fact that your teachers, you know, recruiting you. And then he's like, oh, he discourages us. And then when he talks to the teacher, you get the sense that the teacher is recruiting them. He's not explicitly doing it. And so that's a whole interesting dynamic of like, you know, this guy wanted to be this teacher and this teacher ultimately died, you know, because in the war. Yeah, and, the, and with dignity, because he got shot during the war, because he didn't want to live with like a cri- like a cripple. You know? Which also is sort of a Viking thing. It's sort of a Viking culture, a Valhalla type thing of of dying in battle. Is this? And by the way, that's a hallmark of modern fascist states. Is that they say to you, "Hey, yeah, the idealism of uh, yeah, you're dying sure. for the state." So I think that I think that that's definitely all there. Um, and it's it's what's what's cool about all of this is that you know we're talking about the human drama. We're talking about the the uh, the the commentary on the politics of it, um, but. You know, yeah, it does work just fundamentally as an action movie. You're just watching it and you're just into it and you're just, you know, like it's all seamless. It all just plays naturally like a great Hollywood movie. Um, yeah. And I think, 
I think it's interesting though saying that this in retrospect because it didn't it didn't strike a chord with audiences. It was a little too a little too I don't know cerebral or something maybe that uh, they... yeah it'd be interesting to know what what the negative thoughts were then. But I guess that's a different time. Well, altogether. I mean, Verhoeven, much like Cirque, is being reevaluated in uh, in hindsight, where people are starting to see that this guy was like, you know, he's kind of a kind of a major film artist, and I think most I'm still working. I remember being surprised when I was working at the music hall when the movie L came out, and I saw it directed by Verhoeven, and I was like, oh, that's I was surprised. You know, Elizabeth Hooper is in it and he's holding a cat and I'm like, I wonder what the movie's about. And then I watch it and it's just like, whoa. And I'm hearing that it's subversive and I get it. And it's, it's phenomenal. I like that he's still subversive in terms of like, he wants his movies to start a conversation. Yeah. He's uh, yeah. L the core of L. I didn't love L, but the core of it, the core idea of it is subversive. I, I really liked it. I wouldn't say I loved it either, but I definitely really liked it. I, he's doing something super subversive for our era that's very different than 1997 and i i really appreciated that yeah yeah i mean he's just one of those filmmakers if he's making a movie i'm gonna watch it you know what i mean like like he if it says directed by paul verhoeven i'm like i'm gonna take a look at this you know i actually have to see black book i have to see his earlier work too but black book it's actually i think available on the prime it is on amazon prime yeah i have to see it um yeah we should probably talk about that movie well i gotta uh, gotta watch it uh, that's a good movie to watch anyway i would recommend it well, this was fun. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll maybe we'll do all of uh, Verhoeven's uh, filmography because I can talk about all of this. I mean, you know, just total recall is incredible. Oof, total recall. Right? One of the, Sharon Stone and Paul Verhoeven are one of the great teams. <laughs> I can. What is it? Was it? Was it my? Woo? Just a woo. Yeah, yeah. That's I knew. It's all right. Well, you know, it's it's true. All right. Well, I, we're gonna we're gonna say goodbye, but thank you very much for joining us. All right. Bye bye. Uh, hello, everybody. Yeah.